Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Welcome back mate, you're back from Tamworth, how was it? It was good and one of the things I love about going to Tamworth is you just see how another city runs a major event. Now this was their 52nd Golden Guitar Awards, so ah, they've been okay. at it for a few yeah. years and it was one of those things that started off as a very small event, Max Ellis, don't don't hold me to that but I'm sure his name is Max Ellis, right. that started the event, in fact he was in the crowd there on the night and normally... He's been a very young man when he started. Then. Well, he's a very old man now. <laughs> right, okay. But he normally comes up and actually presents one of the awards, one nice. of the significant awards. But I think he must be at the stage, I didn't actually see him there, but he must be at the stage where he's a bit too old to get up. Yeah. He was still acknowledged in nice, the crowd nice. when they were presenting that particular award. And it's one of those things that started off as a very small dinner, mm. small event, passionate people like... Mr. Ellis, and went through and worked at it, worked at it, and then it grew and grew and grew, and now it's a huge thing. Now, we actually had six mayors in attendance on the night, and I certainly have said to Russell Webb, Mayor of Tamworth, that it's great when we get the various regional cities, for example, to get together at different events and learn from each other. So we actually had five Australian mayors there, and there was also the mayor of Gore in New Zealand. Oh, okay. The the invited international guest. Well, they actually have a sister city relationship with Gore, and they do that because Gore holds themselves as a country music capital of New Zealand or or similar. So they've got a, a relationship there with Gore. And they've actually got a sister city relationship with Nashville and Tennessee as well. I didn't know that, okay. Obviously right. yeah, from yeah. the country music focus on there. But anyway, the, the mayor of Gore was there and he seemed like a, a nice young man and talked about some of the things they were learning from their experience in Tamworth and they'd been there for a few days looking around. But again, it's always good just to see how someone else does something, how they Absolutely. run a major event. And just learn from each other and, I suppose, share some of those insights mm. as well, which is mm. it's Big good. crowd in attendance as usual, I suppose. Yeah, there was a big crowd in attendance. An interesting Elvis festival in parks, so he leads into that. Yes. And that's the sort of thing that you can work together. Obviously, when they started the Elvis festival, and that was maybe 25 years ago. I mean, I know you went to it, and mm-hmm. that was about 25 Fabulous years. Day. yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's around that sort of time frame. And I know when they first started about talking about starting that particular event, it mm. was how can we do something to extend the season, if you like, mm. of festivals, musical events around the area mm. so that they hopefully get some people who go to parks on their way to going to Tamworth. So yep. why not pick up a bit of extra... I'd imagine there would have been a large contingent of the uh, the Elvis uh, people there would have been up there in Tamworth as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly part of it. So mm. it's good to see various communities. I'm sure they work together and talk about the things that might be on and see how they can work to, to basically bring people out of this region mm. for a longer period of time. I say uh, this region is just regional. It's wonderful. I'm glad to see the fact that you came back and you enjoyed it and uh, got a bit of hoedowning going on, I'm sure, as well. It was fantastic. <laughs> All right, right, mate, let's jump in. Into it. So, look, during the week, uh, you had the chance. I know we've talked about uh, this at, at length on a few occasions in regards to the Belgravia. Now, Belgravia is the group that's running our regional pool system here um, in our little electric area here of Dubbo. Um, so, Belgravia Leisure. So, you had a meeting here with the manager, uh, the state manager here of Belgravia during the week. Did you get the chance to sort of, uh, I suppose, to discuss some of your concerns that uh, you know, the residents here and council themselves? Excuse me, council themselves have been talking about? Yeah, that's exactly the point of this. Our staff have certainly been having ongoing discussions with Belgravia. And as we know, some of the things that have occurred with Belgravia haven't been perfect. They've been less than ideal, and that's been disappointing and frustrating for our residents in not just Dubbo, but we've got three pools that they manage, Dubbo, Wellington Mm. and Geary. 
It was a good chance to sit down and talk to the state manager. I know that she'd already had meetings with some of our staff, but I was keen to actually sit down and talk to her just to convey some of the community frustrations. And a couple of things I suppose I emphasise. One is that in any business, you make a mistake and you fix it, then people are generally okay with that. They'd rather mm. you didn't make the mistake. It depends how serious the mistake is. But humans are humans, and mm. people are generally understanding of that, especially if you fix that mistake efficiently. And so I, I did say, I passed on the message to her, that the first thing that I thought was when they did actually have a problem, they didn't really seem to jump all over it, fix it efficiently, communicate, make sure the community knows what's happening, make sure council knows what's happening. Mm. So I said that was a little bit disappointing. But then also, I think the general public, in terms of a business sense, is accepting of a mistake. Mm. But the second time it happens in a short period of time, mm. then people say, oh, this business, it's systemic. Mm. These issues that are happening are an ongoing problem. So one mistake is a one-off. Yep. But two mistakes... Well, that's a problem. And especially when they're not dealt with accordingly. So I, mm. I did express that. What was her response to all of that? Well, look, the words were good. In other words, very apologetic, talked about the reasons behind some of this. Certainly, I understand this problem, getting enough staff is a problem. Every business I talk to in Dubbo, mm. trying to get enough staff and of the right skills and experience. And she said that really we didn't understand how big an issue that was in Dubbo. We've got our model. We do things in, a, in ways across Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And so we advertise, we get staff, and away we go. But we tried that here, and suddenly we realised that we weren't able to get those staff. Now, this would have been a problem no matter who won that contract yeah. or if we kept it in-house because there's just a lack of staff. They had the advantage. They could bring staff in, which they were doing. They mm. were bringing staff in from other pools across the nation, not just across the state, from mm. other pools so that they could actually keep the pool open. And we wouldn't have had that ability to do that if we were just a regional council running it like we have in the mm. past. This is a problem, which is a good problem to mm. have, that lots of people need you've got businesses growing lots of people yeah. need employees in Dubbo and we just can't get enough people there's not enough housing for them to live in is, is a staffing problem now solved if they feel as though they've resolved that problem or they feel like they've gotten on top of that and one of the issues that I did identify is that when you've got a pool that's open for half the year it's mm. a pretty tough gig to say hey Mark we think you're a really valuable really great employee mm. and we want high caliber employees with experience so we'll give you a job for half the year mm. and then the other half of the year well look you can be okay, can't you? What she did say was that their model is typically that they'll actually find employment for staff for the year. Right. Obviously, you can take out part of that time frame with your annual holiday. So you, yeah. you typically, the season opens, the season finishes, you're typically expected not to take your holidays in that time. So then of the months in between, okay, there's a month straight away that you've got your holidays. But then there's other jobs they've got for some of the staff to do, for example, just work on some WHS practices, work on some other procedures you might be working on. The other thing is that you might sometimes work a little bit longer hours during that season, so you might build up a little bit of time in lieu. Mm. But basically, they've identified that as a problem across all mm. of their pools mm. that are seasonal pools, yep. and that's one of the ways to get around it. You might even have some work in some of the other pools that are all year-round pools. For example, oh, look, you live here in Dubbo, but for a month, could you go and help out in one of the pools that we've got in one of the other sites? Mm. So that certainly will help solve that problem in the, okay. in the future. Yeah. The other problem that I certainly had was the communication. If you make a mistake, you put your hand up and say, yep. here's an issue, here's what we're going to do about it, let's fix it up. And I, I was disappointed in that communication, both to council, who an important player in this whole scenario, yep. but also the community. Now, the response was, yes, apologetic, yes, we'll get it better, yes, we'll work on that. And all the responses in the words were right. Mm. But I did say, 
that's fine. You said the right things. You said what I expected you to say. But the real test will be the actions. Absolutely. They speak much louder than words. Well, these guys, as you've already pointed out, uh, they're, they're a large operation. Um, you would think that... Uh, for these guys, uh, communication and that management process of how they go about communicating with other management groups around the place would be just a given. Mm. So that they have dropped the ball when it comes to that. So I'm hoping here, Matt, and I'm sure the community's in, I'm sure yourself as well, is that after this discussion uh, that you had during the week, things will start to improve. Well, I did say we really need a completely clean slate, everything running perfectly mm. to the end of the year, to the end of the season, and then there'll be the off season, and then you're ready to start the next season absolutely full steam ahead. Yeah, and some of the stuff was simple. Like one of the days, for example, where it was a busy day, they had some event on, they knew it was going to be busy. They had the canteen open, mm. selling goods, but they hadn't thought to make sure they had enough cash in the till. So during the day, mm. you got to the stage where there was no small change left in the till. Yeah. So if you came over, you, you're a kid that had your $5 from mum or dad, yeah. and you walked over to the canteen to buy something worth a couple of dollars, and they'd say, mm. sorry, we haven't got change, so you're going to have to spend the whole five dollars, mm. or just give us the whole five dollars. And and I actually said that seems pretty yeah, basic absolutely. in a retail world that you've yeah. got a canteen and you didn't have enough change there. And yeah. she did say, from her perspective, absolutely right. But unfortunately, the people that they've got there just haven't got the experience to understand that. But again, I thought there would have been the procedures mm. in place to actually do that. Well, you mentioned there the fact that they bring in other people in there to help the operation at the mm. start. So surely there must be some training of some of these new guys in the place to sort of get them up to speed on that. They must yeah. be overseeing. If they're seeing this as a part of a, a potential problem that they face, surely they must be there starting to think we need to uh, really keeping an eye on these guys, uh, keep their training up, uh, do what they need to do to sort of get them up to scratch. That really needs to be the community wants, I suppose, as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's an important discussion to have. I think they know the frustration in the community. I think they know the frustration mm. from council. It's really up to them now to show in their performance rather than in their words yeah. that things are on track. And again, to the community, keep giving me feedback. If you hear anything, you see anything that you don't think is right, then absolutely let me know because we want to make sure we keep them to account. Sounds good. And Matt, during the week, uh, you attended a public meeting at Youth Arena. It's a very important meeting. It was actually, it, it appears as though the meeting itself, um, was it one of the wind farm groups called Res, R-E-S, as opposed to Res, R-E-Z, which is a bit confusing there for people, but I imagine it's a bit confusing for me, actually. Uh, they were one of the main groups that are obviously involved in the discussions in this with the Ukrainian community. Um, now, I'm assuming here as well is the fact that this is all about what's happening here within the RES, R-E-Z, uh, the Renewable Energy Zone. Um, and this has given a chance, I suggest, for a lot of the, the uh, members of the community to express their concerns, maybe, or to find out what's happening, or just to get some general feedback of, okay, what are we expecting? Um, I'm sure there's farmers in there that already have the, the wind farms on their sites to maybe to hear more about it, and other farmers who may be thinking about getting wind farms on their sites. Uh, so how did it all go? Yeah, it's interesting, and it's always great to have that opportunity for the community to give feedback direct to council, and we had a number of councillors there, which was fantastic, and obviously our mm. council staff. The origin of this meeting was all around the Wellington, sorry, the Villages Committee that we have, and one of the many committees that we have is the Villages Committee, and the representative for that area, the Eucarina, Kerr's Creek area out there, is a gentleman by the name of Peter Wikes, and he's right. a lovely gentleman. He yep. is very active in terms of his community feedback and works with council, and so he actually said there were some people around the area who wanted to find out what was going on in this with RES yep. in terms of the wind farm proposal. There were just some concerns in the community. 
And it's really up to the proponent to do some community consultation and engage mm. with the community. And there are various steps they've got to do along the way. And if I was a wind farm proponent, I'd be wanting to get in there early and have these mm. discussions because if you don't give people the correct information, the rumours that start gain momentum very quickly and then they become facts in inverted mm. commas. So, so this group then, the proponent, RES, are they a large operation that's coming in or are they a smaller group? Like, Who are these people? Yeah, actually I don't know much about the background of RES. Okay. I, I know they've got a proposal for, they're calling it the Kerr's Creek Wind Farm. Yep. So that's that part of it. But I suppose I would have liked to have seen them already do this mm. before now. Having said that, it's still, we're talking about 2027 if everything goes ahead according okay. to schedule before they actually build it. So it's not like it's happening tomorrow. Long way to go. They've had some meteorological testing equipment there on site for a couple of years now to make sure the wind quality is good enough, which obviously any wind farm proponent does. Yep. So Peter Wikes said to council, it'd be good to organise a meeting to just discuss this with the community. We probably said, Sure, it should be RES, but we'll push it here and we'll make it happen. So mm. we basically said, we'll organise a meeting, we'll make sure RES is there, and it's basically the community can come along and they're invited along. Mm. We probably ended up with about 60 people there, which isn't bad okay. given the population yeah, yeah, of the Ukraine is probably yeah. 37. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's a pretty good uh, turn up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so we gave a, a brief overview to begin with, just to talk about the the idea of the meeting, etc. RES then came along and told everyone about the details of their proposal as they stand at the moment. It hasn't been finalised. They haven't been given approval yet. So it was really about just the general scope and size, mm-hmm. about the the size and the number of turbines, so 63 turbines, about the height of them, a few things there. And then, actually, I'll, I'll go on that first. So then some people ask some questions. And, and it's interesting, the way people ask questions sometimes just becomes a bit aggressive. And mm. I, I don't quite understand why people do that. Uh, for example, one gentleman stood up and he said, why is RES lying to the community? You said in your presentation then that 254 metres high is the height of the towers. Well, I know for a fact that they're 285 metres tall. Why are you lying to the community? Mm. And the the gentleman from RES said, and didn't take offence to that, which he could have quite easily. Yeah, absolutely. And he, and he said one of our original proposals in terms of our tentative discussions mm. was for some turbines 285 metres tall, but we heard some feedback from the community that they thought that was too large. So we've now changed that in our latest proposal, which again is still in a draft format, and mm. we kind of had the proposal there and said that one has now got 254 metres. So we're not lying to the community. Mm. Yes, we started off at one height. We heard from people like you, and mm. we've scaled them back a little bit now. And there's been some advances in the way power's produced, so we can probably get the same amount of power out of a 254-metre height. And that's tip height. So that's mm. the maximum height, the very tip. So the tower might be 200 metres tall, for example, but mm. the tip height, obviously. So if you just see that little glimpse of a tip at the very top, that might be 254 okay. metres. So yeah. get some facts out there like that rather yeah. than, uh, I don't see any reason why someone from RS would stand there and just mm. outright lie mm. to the committee. He's giving the facts as they stand as of today. Now, the next time they hold that next public meeting, they might say it's now 248 metres or it mm. might be 61 turbines or whatever. It's not. He's not lying to the community. Mm. It's, this is the latest information. That's what happens as you go through the process. That sounds to me a bit like there's, uh, I suggest, uh, some people probably come along, they've got their own agenda and own ideas regards to what they feel as though is going to be the outcome of this and they get quite emotionally attached to what they believe to be the knowledge and then they bring that with them and they their thoughts are running through their head and they're getting more and more emotionally built up and, and all of a sudden they release it. So was there a fair bit of emotion at the meeting or was this sort of a bit isolated? Or No, there were a few people there. Most people were silent, but there were a few people that, that were a little bit emotional and, and mm. some people very 
annoyed about the whole process, and that's fine. When you talk about renewables, it does seem to divide opinion mm. fairly markedly. It, it does, doesn't it? That's right. <laughs> so yeah. we then gave a, a brief overview of how things work from a council perspective because people often think council's involved heavily. Mm. We certainly are involved, but we're not the consent authority, and this is a thing that confuses many people. You know, why are you letting these come and be built on the area? Well, we're not letting them mm. be built. We don't have the final say. Now, of course, some people said, well, you could stop it, you could complain about it, but it goes through... These are typically state significant developments, so they're going through the New South Wales Department of Planning typically. Some go through a joint regional planning panel, but most of them go through mm. New South Wales Department of Planning. Now, we could put an objection letter in. It would have to be a council resolution to, to put an objection letter in. Mm-hmm. But I think if you had 50 residents around a particular project, and if those 50 residents all put in their objections with some logic and common sense behind why they're objecting to it, I actually think that would hold more weight than council objecting because... Mm. The Department of Planning being a government department says, okay, well, that's a council objection. Oh, hold on. Look at all these individuals around here that are impacted by it. It's not just a council. Mm. It's all these individuals. It's actually interesting. Like uh, what you're saying here, you you had a large number of people there turn up to the Eucarina Hall from that area who are obviously directly impacted by uh, this development. Um, The general feel then of of the residents across, were they in favour of this development or were they opposed to this development? Hmm. I think if you would have taken a secret ballot of mm. the people in the room, then a secret ballot would have been a little bit against. It would okay. have been slightly against in terms of that room. If you asked for a show of hands, it would have been a lot against because yeah. I think it would have been someone a bit brave to put their hand up and say, I'm in favour of it. Mm. And there were some people in the room who spoke to me afterwards who were very much in favour of it. Some of those people have turbines on their property, or, right. or sorry, yes. there's, the proposal will be for turbines on their property, mm. and you might get paid, it's confidential the amount mm. they get paid, so I don't know the exact figures, but I'm estimating that typically you would get paid twenty to $30,000 per turbine. So Is that if, per year? Per year, that's right. That's a significant typically, amount of money, isn't it? That is, typically yeah. for the first maybe 30 years of that project, then you might have to renegotiate okay. something. But if you look at that, and I've talked to farmers even a couple of years ago, just after the 2019 drought, I talked to some farmers who had some wind turbines on their property, and one of them had maybe in the city of 10 on their property. Mm. And they said, well. my quarter of a million dollars or more that I received each year was guaranteed income. Yeah. I could keep all my sheep or cattle on the property to continue to graze. I could pay for feed for them. And then when we came out of the drought, which obviously we knew would eventually happen, mm. I was in a fantastic position. So for people that have got turbines on their property that make the decision to say, yes, I'll mm. have them, because you don't have to. There's yep. no compulsory process with mm. turbines. You, as a farmer, might be approached by a proponent, and you say, what will you pay me? And let's have the discussion. And you think about it and you go, well, yep, I can see that that would be good for my future or my kid's Mm. future or my property. So I can keep Mm. grazing my sheep and or cattle. Because how long do they normally last, the wind turbines? Are we talking 40, 50 years, 20, 30 years? What's what's the general length of time? Yeah, they typically have 30-year arrangements in place, 30-year contracts in place. But at the end of that 30 years, that proponent has already put the underground infrastructure in. Yep. They've already upgraded the roads and the fences and gates on that farmer's property. Yep. They've already built the tower. Yep. After 30 years, they might say, well, that gearbox is pretty much worn out now. We might replace the head unit or the gearbox. So they might do a complete refurb. But you pull all that other infrastructure yeah. in, you're unlikely to just to scrap it all. Yep. You may as well keep using it. So once you've well, got them there, they could be there for a long period of time. Even if they're for 20 years, that's $5 million of a short income if you've got 10 wheel, uh, turbines running turbines, around. Yeah. So that's that's an incredible amount of money. That's a short income. Correct. A short, that's the, the crucial part here, a short income yeah. and off-farm income. You can get running your property, especially with wind turbines. They don't impact your property mm. that much in terms of sheep or cattle. They seem to be fine. So 
That's there's some people afterwards about that, but in general, yeah. the questions coming were, were slightly negatively focused. Can I ask then, Matt, what were some of the main objections? Because I'm interested to know what, uh, from the community perspective, um, this is a major development, this res that's happening around here. And obviously, there are going to be people who are going to object to it. Certainly, sitting back from where I'm sitting, I, I generally sort of see so many of the positives against the negatives. But I'm very interested to hear, what are people saying? Why are they objecting to this? Well, that's a good question. I don't know that I heard any reasons for objections, and I don't know that I heard necessarily outright objections, but I heard lots of questions mm-hmm. with a accusatory tone or an aggressive mm-hmm. nature. So, for example, another, so we then got up, council got up, and then talked about how a voluntary planning agreement might work and how we might receive some money, and we talked about the 1.5% framework. So all these things that we talked about there. And so we talked about the fact that this particular project, this one project in Kerr's Creek, might generate for the community $300,000 a year, for example, and that will then be indexed over the, say, the 30-year lifetime of the project. So that's $300,000 we didn't have yesterday, and we haven't got that yet because the project isn't going ahead yet, mm. but again, mm. let's say it goes ahead. And and I estimated that over the 37 projects we've got around this whole area, you might end up, as in council, might end up with $5 million a year extra. So this is just one project, $300,000. So $5 million a year. Now, that's $5 million a year that we don't have to go and try and get from rates money. Mm-hmm. We don't have to try and get grants for it. It's pretty much guaranteed for the life of those projects. And that's extra things we can do with the community. We don't want to mm-hmm. say, oh, that normal road maintenance that we do anyway, we'll go and do that with that money. We want to do, we want to make a difference in the community. That's a really important part. So mm-hmm. some people said, how much money is council getting out of this? And so we said, sure, $300,000 would be, a rough estimate, one half percent of the total capital investment value divided over the life of the project, index, etc. But yeah, say mm. that, and someone said, "Well, that's not much money, really, for this area here." But when you look at the amount of money that might be spent in the Ukraine area from council, it's mm. actually quite a significant amount of money in the whole scheme of things because mm. it's not a very big area, and there's not many rates dollars that are generated from yep. the area. Yep. I've actually asked our CEO to give us some information around some of our villages, how much rates money we generate. So I won't say how that compares to the rates money we generate, but mm. obviously 300000 is still $300,000 extra. So that sounds good. But then you know, someone stood up, some of the silly stuff. Someone stood up and they said, so I've heard a rumour that you guys, as in pointing to myself and council staff, I'm mm. sure whether it was all councillors or the CEO or who it was, but you guys are getting a sweetener from oh, RES. a personal sweetener for yourself. Well, didn't go that far. A sweetener from right. RES to let this project go ahead. Mm. And there's, you think about saying things that you think are funny, but you know they're not going to go down mm. that well, that sure, they've just guaranteed me a million dollars a year for the next 30 years. Is that what you're talking about? I'm sure uh, that would have gone down very well. Yeah, <laughs> and so you, you think, really, mm. do you think that they're paying us off? And, mm. and the, the crucial thing. So I said, just to put the rumour to bed, no. I personally, I can't talk for any other councillors, but I'm pretty confident that they would put their hand up and yeah, say no as well. Absolutely. I personally have not been offered anything from any renewable project, mm. any financial sweetener mm. or any job offer or any mm. anything at all. I'm wondering, you know, listen to what you're saying there, is, and you talked there earlier about the fact that if there had been a vote, that the vast majority would have been opposed to the development. I'm wondering if a lot of that opposition has come from that whole sense of distrust of, of governments, of, of big business, of, you know, that, that type of an idea, the fact we just don't want change. Um, well, the change. You know, that, that, that we're, this is, we live in a community out here, it's a small little community, we like it like it is, we just don't want the change. Um, I'm thinking maybe, I don't know, because I don't live there, but if there's no obvious reason for it, you know, could that will be part of the problem? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think the whole change, it's, it, it is change, it's different. I've got my farm, I'm running my farm, 
I've been doing that for generations. Leave me alone. Everything's okay. Yeah. But so go back to that. So sweeteners, no. I, I yes. them there's no yes. sweetener. There, there are no sweeteners. Taken there. No, and, right. and I said, and it wouldn't make a lot of sense for RES if they were that way inclined, and I'm sure they're mm. not, but if they were that way inclined to go around and offering bribes or sweeteners or whatever you want to call it to various people, then offering that to council would be a bit silly because we don't get to make the decision. Mm. So if you're mm. going to offer sweetener, and again, <laughs> I'm not saying they are, but if you were going to offer a sweetener, right. you'd offer it to the New South Wales Department of Planning because they make the decision. So mm. you might as well go and offer you a sweetener because mm. you have as much influence in the decision as I have in the decision. So yeah. that would be silly. So, no, we can put that one to bed. And it's all a bit silly, and it's almost a bit insulting that people mm. even say that. But sure, mm. bring it up in a public forum so we can say that there's no sweetener there. Yeah. So yeah. that's one part of it. What we did say is that our job in all of this is to maximise the benefits. So we will have discussions with RES, mm. and we'll be saying we want you to give us money, not me personally, not to go and buy mm. account, mm. but to give council money to be used, and again, specifically in the Ukraine area. Yeah. Now, to give them an example which we gave for another planning agreement that we've got with another company, because we've got nothing in place with RES yet, but another planning agreement, we said that the majority of this money that comes in each year needs to be spent in a 20-kilometre radius of that particular area. Okay. Now, some people say, well, you should do it a smaller radius, but some of these projects are out in a regional landscape mm. where you've got a few country roads and you couldn't spend $300,000 in a, let's say you said 10-kilometre radius, yeah. you might spend that $300,000 in the first year on some road upgrades, but then the second year you go, well, the road's already pretty good now. What are we spending on now? Yeah, yeah. Really, what my view would be is to spend that money in the area, in the local vicinity, in a way that can make a difference to that area. Mm. So widening it at 20 kilometres means you've got the ability to spend it in a bigger area in ways that will make more of a difference. So mm. you might spend it in Stewart Town, mm. which might help the overall area attract some people, for example, mm. rather than right in the Eucharina area. But they were worried that, Big Bad Dubbo would take all that money and we'd spend that. And someone said, mm. well, what about if you've just got a project in Dubbo, you want to get finished off and it's a bit short and you'll just take some of that money. I said, well, the planning agreement is a legal mm. document mm. between the proponent and council and that has perimeters in there, which we've done in other ones, where it says exactly the perimeter. So that would mean council would be breaking a legal agreement. Sure, if you don't trust council, then mm. they can go and do that. But no, that's not the idea of it. Mm. So again, talking about the benefits in the area, I didn't hear a lot of objections. Okay. I did hear some people who, again, were a bit accusatory of council. For example, they said, why isn't Caban Shire at this meeting? Well, there was a Dubbo resident, mm. Dubbo Regional Council resident. Is there any resident. reason for Caban Shire to be there? Well, that was my point. A Dubbo Regional Council resident sitting on a villages committee said we'd like a meeting to talk to the community yep. in Eucarina, which is in Dubbo Regional Council, in relation to a proponent, RES, that's building a wind farm mm. in Dubbo Regional Council local government area. Yep. The number of wind turbines in Caban Shire is approximately zero. Yep. So the reason you would have Caban Shire there would be, I'm not sure. Well, so, it'd be like sort of happening, you know, something being built in Molong and then the expectation that someone from Dubbo needs to be there. Yeah, right. that's Why? right. Now, it was a public meeting, so people could come along mm. and there were some people from Caban there, but they were saying, see, we know what's going on here. Dubbo Regional Council didn't invite Caban Shire Council to this. And our CEO stood up and said, well, I've had discussions with the CEO or the GM of Caban Shire and we're relatively aware that this is all happening. Mm. From Caban Shire across the border, you can actually see, you'll be able to see these wind turbines, but I'm not sure that that means that we've got to invite them and RES certainly don't have to invite them along. Mm. But again, it's a public meeting, anyone can come. I actually rang the mayor the next day, Kevin Beattie, the next day, just to have a talk to him. I didn't get on and I left a message, but I'll catch up with him to see if there's anything that I missed there, any reason that we should have in included them. But again, mm. there were residents there and some of the, the almost the 
harshest questions or the most aggressive questions came from some of these people from Combined Shire. Mm, yeah, and right. again, you just think, well, is there any reason you need to be that concerned about it? Yep. Is there anything that's happening that we don't know about it? So mm. I don't really know exactly what some of the objections were. Now, the other thing that was interesting that came out of all of this, so, uh, sorry, the other part I suppose that was important is this is the first meeting. So people said, why haven't we been told about this before? Well, it's probably 2027 before this will be built. This, this Long way to go. You've got about another three years. So that's right. Plenty of time. Be, we can call this like an initial meeting. That's right. There'll yeah. be more meetings. There's always going to be a first meeting. And at yeah. that first meeting, everyone can say, why didn't someone tell me about mm. this beforehand? Mm. The other thing that was interesting was that once we were there, and one person said, right, thank goodness, lucky this wind farm's happening because this gives us a chance to finally have you lot come out and talk to us because you've ignored us. You've left mm. us alone. You've ignored us. And I did point out, mm. it's a two-way street. If you've got an issue that you need it taken care of, well, you can call council, you can call me, you can send emails. Have there any contacts been made with any of this sort of information? So there were some things there that needed to be sorted out. Mm. Apparently, the last council, when they were out there, the, the mayor of the last council went out there and promised them that they'd put a bore in for non-potable water. They've got a water scheme there, about 22 houses on a scheme, mm. and that scheme is something that they generate themselves, they pay for the money for themselves, and that basically takes some non-potable water along so right. they can do it, use it on the garden. So according to the one person there and someone else mm. backed them up, the last time there was a meeting out there, the mayor was there and he said, I promise you I'll go and build so a board. So a few years ago now, I'd assume. Mm, that's right. And so again, I thought, well, okay. why hasn't anyone talked to us about that? First say, I've heard about it. Has there been any follow-up since then? Or? First CEO's heard about it, so okay. we'll, we'll chase it up. Yep. And then you also promised us a barbecue. Why haven't you built a barbecue that you promised down at our playground? Okay. Well, didn't know about it, but mm. again, do you we have can to follow this up? That's do you okay. Have to wait till we yeah. come out here. We don't go to yeah. every resident in the sixty-five, or actually fifty-six thousand seven hundred and twenty is the last yep. count for our residents. You don't need to go to each individual one and say, "Do you mm. need to tell me something?" Mm. It's a two-way street. You can come to us as well. Yeah, I think it was a good chance though for some of them to get some of those issues off their chest. Well, it certainly sounds like there's probably been a few pent-up grievances that uh, they've taken the opportunity maybe in the meeting here to sort of say, "Look, it's been a while." Let's get it all out on the table. And the reality is, Eucarina and Curz Creek are closer to Orange than they are to Dubbo. Mm. And even when they were under Wellingtonshire Council, they were probably erring on the side of being closer to Orange. And I remember speaking to Mike Baird, who was the Premier at the time the amalgamations happened. Mm. And before the amalgamations, I said, Mike, I don't agree. And officially, our council didn't agree, and our community vote, they didn't agree with the amalgamations. And I said, one of the examples was just the size and the relevance. So you go from, say, Yumundri to mm. Kerr's Creek. Mm. Makes it a big LGA, mm. but also Kerr's Creek people probably would see Orange as their centre of influence. So if you're going to do amalgamations, why don't you do boundary adjustments? Because it might make some sense then to have some of those included. And his answer was that if he did boundary adjustments, he would need to get it through the MLC, the um, Legislative Council, mm. and he wouldn't get it through there, he said, whereas amalgamations I can do with the... House of Reps or, or the Legislative Assembly, so I don't need to worry about the upper house guys, so I can just do it that way, which wasn't a great mm, answer. No. Um, but no. it was true. He, he, he didn't need to get permission from the MLCs to go and mm. do the amalgamation. So there were some things that people got off their chest, and I think yep. some people were frustrated when it was Wellington, but now it's Dubbo. They just see Dubbo. It's 100 k's away. I mean, mm. when I drove to the meeting on Tuesday night, it was 100 k's mm. away. It's a big trip. It's, yeah. a, it's a long way from Dubbo, so you can understand why people might be frustrated. So yeah. there'll be more to see on this. There's, there's going to be more wind farms, more solar farms. Change is happening, there's no mm. doubt about it. And it's one of those things that at least having the discussion, people can understand it a little bit more. And, and certainly there's been some emails that have come in already oh, as a result of that meeting. A bit of follow-up sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So good. now people can actually contact us and realise that we're there to, to talk to them and help them. Oh, well done. 
Right now, you had your uh, first counsellor workshop for the year. It's already started around, kicked around already, isn't it? So here we are into February and the workshops have begun. Um, let's look at the first one here that was discussed there, the first uh, point of discussion. Overgrown blocks. Now, I'm not talking here about the facts that, uh, you know, blocks suddenly grown from 800 square metres to 900 square metres. I think we're talking here more about overgrown blocks when it comes to weeds and all those type of things. Is that right? Like it's, which can be a point of frustration for a community when you're driving past and you're seeing, you know, uh, some block there and it's, the weeds are high and everyone else has immaculate looking lawn. So what's, what's the council's position on all of this? Well, I do get some calls and other councillors do as well from time to time telling me about a block that's untidy, looks disgusting. They've got cars in various states of repair mm. on that block. Can you just go in and fix it up? And we have certain triggers. There are certain legislative processes we can have. But the first part is determining whether or not it is a overgrown or untidy block. Now, mm. in terms of grass, that's actually relatively easy. Mm. If it's more than 30 centimetres high, right. that meets the criteria. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I have to be a bit careful out there at Fir Grove because <laughs> I'm pretty sure sometimes my grass gets a bit above 30 centimetres. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I thought 30 yeah, centimetres yeah. doesn't seem that long. I, I get more people concerned about when someone's got old cars and, mm. and sheets of iron. Sheets of iron are a bit of a worry because obviously snakes yes, might like the idea yes. of being between those sheets of iron. Yeah. So if it is dangerous or if it's untidy, and again, we've got a process, there are certain steps there we yeah. can actually decide. So can you talk us through the steps, how the steps work? Well, again, it would be someone would make a complaint, yeah. and then our staff would look at that to make a determination. Now, the grass would be easy, yeah. but the other components about it being dangerous or being at the stage where it is classified as untidy, right. again, someone might say, I love my old cars. Mm. What are you saying that these cars look mm. ugly? The, the rust in them looks beautiful. So yeah. you've got to go through a process. Does, does a ranger go out to have a look at that? You or? would actually, yeah, you'd get one of our staff to go out, or typically be a ranger, or maybe one of our other staff in yep. the same area, to go and have a look at these blocks, or look at photos initially, obviously. Yeah. So the complaint would come in, we'd look at that. Now, that's when it gets interesting mm. and tricky. We've got certain legislative processes and certain time delays mm. that we've got to enable to be able to get to the stage where we can finally ask for some action to be taken. So right. we can issue orders, for example, we can even fine people. But let's say a complaint came in today mm. and it was determined by our staff, yes, that is, it meets the criteria to be a block that we need to take some action on. It would take approximately just over 50 days before we could issue a fine for that. Is that right? And, and you've got certain triggers. So the best part of two months almost. Yeah, and you've got certain triggers along the way. So we would send a letter and you've got to wait for seven days for that and then we've got a certain number of days to respond mm. and then we could go back and then we could issue orders. We could say you've got to clean it up, and et cetera, et cetera, down the track. Right. And then again, after 50 days, we can fine them. Now, right. some people have said, well, why don't you just send in some of your guys and mow that and fix it up and then charge that to the resident or put it onto their rates, because here's the thing, if we issue a fine, and so some of these blocks that we're talking about, the fine that might be issued mm. is often to a place where no one's living, mm. and it's usually someone outside the LGA, and it's someone that's it's an abandoned house mm. for all intents and purposes. Trying to get the money out of that person, and we've got processes we take to actually go and get money back from people, mm. obviously recovery processes, but again, when they're deciding to abandon a house, they're probably not that taking that much notice of the bills that come mm. in and often they've got unpaid rates. Now, we can't add that money to their rates. We've got to go through a debt recovery process separate to that. If they don't pay their rates for a number of years, we can finally sell the house, but that's 
again. That'd be a process, I'm sure. It's a process yeah, and a yeah. half. And you feel like it is a sledgehammer to a mosquito because mm. they might get to, and don't quote me this number, but let's say it was $10,000 in rates they owe. Mm. And the house, and again, it's probably not going to be that valuable because it's run down and old, but mm. let's say you sold it and it's worth $200,000. Mm. Well, the block of land might be worth that alone. So mm. you're selling something for $200,000 for us to take our $10,000 and then return the mm. other amount to the actual owner of the block of land. Yeah. So it's a clumsy area. Yeah. Not I was going to say it would be very messy too, I'd suggest. Very messy. And again, from that person, oh, I can't believe you're selling my house just to get the rates. Mm. Well, that's the process and we've asked for the rates to be paid mm. a number of times. We've charged you interest, etc. So the big decision we'll need to make in the future as a result of this workshop, it was where's the next step? So at the moment, we've got the process we go through, we'd issue a fine, but typically we wouldn't say our staff that the policy is not in place to go and actually clean up the place. Right. We wouldn't go and do that and then try and get the money back from the person. But do we want to do that? Is that something we want is, to do? Is that a possibility? I'd, Absolutely I'd be right. There now, is. So even under things like privacy acts and closed land acts and all those type of things, you can still do that? So again... There's a process and yeah. there's timeframes associated with each step of the process, but we could eventually get to the stage we do it and we would have a, a fee. We might pay a contractor, for example, and whatever that fee was that we paid the contractor. But then our legal advice is that what we'd also want to do is make sure that we videoed that process, right. the entire process, yep. because someone might say, right, mm. your guys came onto my property. I didn't want you to come on. Mm. You used your powers to come on and look, you've broken the weatherboard on the back part of the mm, house mm. and our guys could say a thousand times well it was already like that this place is pretty run down mm. but you you did that so that's why our legal team yeah, said okay, right. video that process yep. so that then when you have some accusation then you go well here's the video yeah, court of law it will stand up because show video me evidence. that's yeah. right show me okay. where we damage that part of your house so it's a bit clumsy but we'll need to make that decision we'll need to have a policy now our staff are great our staff follow policy and that's the decision they'll need to make with this scenario. They'll need to follow our policy, whichever policy we come up with. So that'll be a future council meeting yep. to determine what we actually do with that one. So okay. that was the first part of the workshop. And yeah. then, of course... Yeah, now, in the second part, it looks as though uh, the Dream Festival came up as point of discussion. So mm. uh, from the point of view of the, the Dream Festival, this has been something now that's been running here in Dubbo for a number of years. It's, um, it, it's certainly, uh, I'd suggest, prior to COVID was getting quite huge and quite large and uh, COVID unfortunately sort of knocked it around a little bit. It's just starting to sort of get its roots back in again and starting to build again. Um, how did the discussion run with this? Was, was this a case of looking at it from the point of view of uh, are we still going to go with the Dream Festival? Is it a funding situation? Are we going to continue to fund the Dream Festival? Do we want to increase the funding for the Dream Festival? Like what's what was the discussion? So it was a workshop to talk about the background because again it will be a future report will go to a future council meeting for mm. a decision to be made. But it was good to get that bit of background. 2011 it started. Councillor Peter Bartley was very big at the time. You yes. might remember his son yeah. Charlie was, yeah. was dancing. And, Absolutely. And they had some various meetings to try and work out what they wanted to do with it. And, of course, it was one of those things sometimes with Dream that you think is the classic case of a camel is a horse designed by committee. And it was a bit like... A <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit like everyone wanted to have a part involved. So DREAM is an acronym mm. for Dubbo Regional Entertainment Arts and Music. Mm. So it was. it's not like the Elvis Festival that mm. says, we're an Elvis Festival. If you want to come dressed up as Kenny Rogers, knock yourself out, but we don't care. It's mm. an Elvis Festival. Yep. We want to focus on Elvis. Tim with Country Music... They don't say, let's bring in rock and roll, mm. let's bring in We've got other both types. kind of music here. We've got country and western. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's it's very focused. Now, with Dream, it's very broad. Mm. And over the years, it's changed a fair bit. 
We've given it a lot of money over the years. So we started off around the $40,000 mark and it sat at that mark. And interestingly enough, there was the discussion we had back for the 2015-16 budget mm. back when we had Dubbo City Council, the discussion, and I actually found a, a newspaper article or a, a media article about exactly this where I was quoted back then as Mayor of Dubbo City Council saying, yes, we've given funding to DREAM again for the 2015-16 financial year, but we've said to DREAM, this is it. You've now had five years to get up and going and you're taking the $40,000 from council each year. You really need to basically keep it going on your own two feet rather mm. than using council money. So that's a thing that happened then. Mm. Then we had an amalgamation. So the funding obviously continued on yep. with the amalgamation. And then the last council said, right, we'll give you funding for one more year. And that was meant to finish a couple of years ago. Mm. But of course we had COVID come along and then a storm come along. That's right. So when we ran it in 2023, that was honouring the council resolution from the last council to say we'll run it one more year. Right, okay. So now... Yeah that resolution has been enacted. So now it's really up to this council to make a decision because that resolution finished. What do we do now? Do we, as mm. you say, increase funding, keep it the same, decrease it, remove funding? It's also now being run by council rather than being run by an external committee. Mm. So that takes up more of our resources yep. as well. A lot of discussions happen around all of that. And of course, the land parade is a fantastic thing. Lots of people gather. Yep. The question is how many people come from outside Dubbo mm. and how many come from inside Dubbo. might be a good feel-good thing for the community. Mm. Keep in mind that of that 40 grand that we give it, approximately 30 grand goes to a business in Lismore for the various lanterns as part of that parade. Uh, yeah, okay. or some of the, the larger yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, right. figurines as part of that parade. So yep. a lot of that money goes straight out of town. And mm. again, how many people do we attract? So that'll be an interesting discussion. Mm. We did say at that workshop that what we need to do is have a discussion with some of the committee members, previous committee members, people like Anne Field and John yes. Walkham and Peter Bartley and just other people that have been involved just to get a bit of an idea of yeah. their feeling on it and how they see it going yeah. forward. So again, it's be one of those things that you watch this space, mm. keep an eye out. We'll have that community consultation okay. discussion as we go forward. But the $40,000, you've got to just say, is yep. it the best way to spend our money? That's the, the critical part mm. of it there. Oh, fair enough. Uh, the React Centre. It's good to see you uh, back in discussion. The React Centre again, of course. This was the this is an idea, Matt, that you came up with uh, probably about what, maybe twelve months ago now. I think it was the first time we had our first discussions on this. The Renewable Energy Awareness and Career Training Centre. Now, initially, it wasn't that we the, the name's been changed and altered with the the way it sort of moved ahead. It's, it's evolved, let's just say. This is very exciting, though. You had a uh, a meeting here with Squadron Energy. Now, this is uh, Twee Forest's group that's setting up out there uh, near Wellington. And it looks as though, from I can gather for this little early reading, that they might be interested in getting this thing up off the ground. Is that correct? Well, this is the, absolutely right. And this is part of the issue with the React Centre. Lots of people are loving the idea. State government, federal government talked about it, love it. We've got various proponents who are saying, yes, we need training. At the moment, when they need training for their staff for some of these projects, they send them to Victoria. Mm. That seems to be better set up than New South Wales at the moment. But someone needs to lead the charge. Mm. We've done a very basic business case. We haven't spent any money on it. We had our staff. Well, obviously, we've spent some money because our staff have done it, but we didn't pay a consultant to come and do a, a big $100,000 business case. But we said, we just need a basic framework that we can hand to people. Mm. So I took the opportunity when... Andrew Forrest, Twiggy Forrest was here yep. in Dubbo and I gave him a copy of our basic business case and I said we'd love Squadron to be involved with this. I'd already given a copy to the CEO of Squadron Energy and so we had some discussions around that. Yep. And our staff have been having discussions with some other proponents about the career training side of it, about maybe a university being involved, maybe TAFE being involved. So there's lots of discussions this happening. This thing's just getting bigger and better. It is. It really and, is. And, it's really evolving. And so Squadron actually said, 
let's have a meeting. So the CEO and I sat down with a meeting with a couple of other people and, okay, how do we make this happen? And so they're keen to take the initial idea and develop it to a much more granular detail, I suppose the next level of business case, to start right. to wrap some numbers around the construction, the running of it, and, and even who runs it. And this is the critical thing, and I did talk to this with Squadron. Yeah. A squadron could go and do it all. But yeah. if I was another proponent for another wind farm, mm. an RES, for example, mm. am I that keen on sending my staff to a squadron-run yeah, facility? Yes. Maybe not. So maybe more short of staff around the place. Yeah, that's right. Sort of flog a few, yeah. <laughs> it might, that's right. Yeah. So maybe they can do some of that initial work, but maybe we get to the point where there's some other organisation set up. I don't think it's right for council. Maybe it is yeah. in the end, but I don't think it's right for council to build it or run it, even if other people are supplying the money. Yeah. But maybe some sort of external not-for-profit or yeah. anyway there's also different models yeah. out there but refining what we get that's the important part yeah. so squadron are on board absolutely Sounds and they're so going exciting. away to well, do congratulations first and foremost i think it's wonderful the fact that uh, that a major organization like squadron energy have decided to take up this and and see the benefit for themselves as well as everybody else and that's part of i suppose the pitch from my perspective when mm. i talk to proponents yes i'm being selfish and i'm, I'm thinking of a hundred thousand people going through the centre as tourists each year, the injection to the Wellington economy mm. will be incredible. But I've got to pitch it in a way that it makes it attractive mm. for proponents. So if mm. I can tell proponents that they can get the training they need for their staff there rather than sitting in Victoria, mm. get it done right here where the project is, mm. then that makes a lot of sense. And financially, that makes more sense for them mm. as well. So it's happening. It's ticking away. It's probably gathering momentum faster than yeah. I thought it would. And I did say to someone the other day that they were talking about something they were trying to get off the ground and, and it wasn't really getting anywhere. And I said, well, you've got to have an acronym. If it hasn't got an acronym, it's not going to happen. <laughs> All the good things have acronyms, don't they? That's, That's right. right. So, exactly. And as you're right. We did start off with a REAC, yes. but now it's become a REACT centre. And I think that's important because the T is the training part, yep. which wasn't in the original vision that I had. Mm. But the training part, I think, will be how we'll get the proponents on I board. I still want that abseiling down the side of that. Oh, absolutely. I said that, <laughs> I said that to all the people because you might need to do that from a training perspective. Absolutely. So why not do it from a tourism perspective? I want a tourist back. Get the tourist part into it. Now, moving along here, Matt, uh, checking through conservatorium um this is the music conservatorium here in dubbo now we we talked about this and raised this that uh, or maybe a month or so that there had to be a decision now being made in regards to what's happening um history matt you can sort of talk us through what happened here with this and the council decision in regards to assisting the conservatorium um but as as there been further advancements been made are, are we now at a point whereby something is going to happen well i suppose the purpose of this is just to give people a bit of an update. Okay. We've talked about it before. I won't go through the whole history back to April last year with the council resolution. But essentially, our staff have had further discussions. There's a new director there at the conservatorium. Right. So they've had further discussion with some board members and the director. And essentially, they informed us that the pressure's been released, at least for the moment, by the Department of Education, who were pushing to move them out because they yeah, wanted to move in. That was the whole thing, wasn't it? That's the, right. The that pressure was, was on, get you out the door. That's right. So that pressure has been released to a certain extent. So they've been mm. scoping the construction for the fit-out, which obviously would deplete their $1 million of reserves, but they knew that in the first place, so that's part of it. And then they also have to have a certain level of cash reserves to operate without income, which doesn't make a lot of sense because that would be the same for any business, mm. wouldn't it? If you mm. said to any business, how long can you operate without income? Well, probably not long. In yeah. fact, individuals, how long can you operate without income yeah. with your home loan and your food on the table? How much do you have in cash reserves? For most people, it's not a lot. They, mm. They're going from pay packet to pay packet. So mm. that's interesting. And because there's a lack of certainty, we gave them 
a five-year Peppercorn lease and then a five-year extension. Mm. And because they haven't got complete certainty around that second five-year term, that's a concern for them as well, which I don't think should be a concern. But our staff have basically said, give us some formal correspondence from the board back to council, because at this stage it's only been discussions. It's Mm. a long time to have discussions for. Give us some formal correspondence back to council so then our staff can bring that to council laws and if we need to, to go to a council meeting to further resolve something. So it's a bit of an update. Things are ticking away. So they're going to stay where they are right now and they're not going to move into what was the old carpet centre building there on uh, Darling Street? They are, but I don't know, and I'm not sure if they ever know how long they can stay there for. Right. Mm. So it's an open-ended option right now still for them? That centre's still available for them if they need it? Well, this is what I think we've got to refine. I don't think it's fair and reasonable to leave a building, a council-owned building, a community-owned building, there forever for someone to take up the offer one day if they feel like mm. it. So I think we've got to refine that, get some more direction and put a, an end date, I think anyway, on that lease offer yeah. so that they can have an end date to work towards and they can have discussions with the Department of Education. Mm. And we know that we've got an end date for that to use that building. We could lease it to someone else mm. or put it in as part of a master plan, whatever we want to do with it, but then we would know okay. rather than say so we've got to So it's at that discussion it. stage now to hopefully something more formal – coming through from the conservatorium so that council can then make a decision in regards to what they're going to do with this building. Correct. Okay. Exactly right. And during the week you had a fun uh, little activity here. You went along and attended the Star Club in Dubbo. Now the Star Club, uh, was this the old writing for the disabled group? Is this, this the, the same operation? They've changed it now to the Star Club? Well, not. I wouldn't say exactly the old writing for disabled group. It's the Star Club Equestrian Group. Right. And I suppose that I would suggest that it's kind of replaced a little bit of what the Riding for Disabled did. So essentially I went out to a property on Rocky Road. They had a a nice area built there where you could have kids on horses. And some Mm. of these are kids under the NDS program, for example. But there are Star Clubs around different locations maybe seven around the state. Okay. And, and so right. they basically set up a program. They're starting off at fortnightly. They said pretty quickly it'll probably go to weekly. Yep. And essentially you'll have kids come along. They get to be on a horse and, and ride it in a very controlled environment. But if they show that they're going okay there, they might go to a slightly larger environment. Mm. But just good to see good people in our community. And this is yep. a, a couple that own a property. They've obviously got horses and got a passion for horses. Yep. Uh, basically providing this service and, yeah. and they'll be paid for this service under their NDIS clients. I'm sure they'll yep. do some volunteering as part of it as well. Yeah. But again, a good outlet for kids to just basically get out in the outdoors and, and do some sort of activity. And one of the people I met there was a, a young girl from Tamworth right. who has been involved with the Star Club in Tamworth for a little while and just loves the Star Club so much. If there's something somewhere else, she says to her mum and dad, can you take me down to oh, that? that so she, yeah, so yeah. she was down here in Dubbo, all excited about it and yep. getting in there and, and you know, just being near the horses mm. and uh, the, the horse, we had a photo with the horse, you know, very placid horse, you mm. know. I'm not the greatest fan of horses. I know growing up I used to ride motorbikes. My sister used to ride horses and yep. I said, you can have your horses because they've got a mind of their own. I'd rather have a motorbike. Cause <laughs> I have I've got some con- control over this thing. That's right. right. It hasn't yeah. got a mind of its own. Maybe it does feel like it sometimes. Yeah. But very placid horse, you know, let me basically pat mm. the horse and, and, and you know, stand there next to it and very calm. So mm. it's just one of those nice things in the community mm. that there are so many things that happen in our community. People don't always realise mm. all the things that are out there and all the people that are involved in the community yeah, yeah. in a range of Doing activities. Doing wonderful things. Yeah, like, yeah. If, I've, if I'm a parent, if I've got a child with a disability, um, how would I access this group? 
I don't know the the details about how you go through it, but I'm sure if you Google Star Club, hmm. you'd come up with a contact process yep. and then there'd be a way to contact the local group here. So I don't know the technical details. They asked me to come out and it was their first day. It was an open day. Lovely. And they had a fair few parents there and, and kids as well. And they had a few kids having a go on the horses there. So it's, it's a nice feeling and a, a nice thing for mm. people in the community to be able to access and again they seem like they've been fairly successful uh, for several years over different locations so it's good to see them here in Dubbo and I think when I spoke to the organisers they said that they just need to find someone with passion and mm. they found someone with passion here in Dubbo who has a real love for horses and loves kids oh. as well so yeah. Love hearing those stories. Good news story around. Yeah absolutely. Now, a quick update. Uh, the Waste and Recycling Centre, otherwise known as The Tip, is going cashless from the 1st of July 2024. So do they, and out there right now, um, do people still use cash or do they use the card mainly? Like what's, I, I would think most people, anything like me, I don't know the last time I actually took cash out. Yeah, that's, that's a bit like <laughs> that, isn't it? You do tend to use cards a lot. Mm. So... There's a very small percentage, sorry, to answer your question, mm. 1.03% of all transactions went through last financial year as cash. Yeah, right, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you so may say 99% of the transactions are pretty much yeah. using your card. And that's by number of transactions, not by the actual amount, if you know mm. what I mean. So it's yep. not like 1.03% of all the, uh, the the total quantum of money that went through mm. was Cash, it was 1.03% of the transactions, all the transactions. Opposed to revenue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So one of the things is that when you've got cash kept on the premises, then some thieves might mm. find it attractive. In the past 12 months, we've had five break-ins at our various waste facilities. Yeah, right. The damage that's been caused has been worth about $470,000. Goodness me. So that's point one, that if yeah. you've got no cash there, there's less for people to be attracted to. Yep. The other thing is, and I find this with my own personal business, mm. It's inefficient to have cash. When you take cash, no matter how much cash you take, if you take a small amount of cash, you've still got to count it at the end of the day. Mm. You've still got to arrange to bank it. Yeah. You've got processes to go through. And when it's a public organisation like a council, you need to make sure there might be two people there, for example, so someone doesn't say, mm. oh, I'll just take that money. I'm not saying any of our staff do that, mm. but you, you need processes in place. Yeah. And I know in our business, we still take cash in our business, but in our business, mm. I like it when people use money uh, electronically, FPOS, credit card, whatever, because mm. that money is in our bank account that night. Cash, I've got to go through that process, mm. count it, bank it, all the rest of it. So we think that will be better. And also it's probably quicker when someone comes along to pay, yep. Yep. they tap and They'll keep tap going and go. rather than, yep. oh, I've just got this money here. Hold on, I've got a bit more here. I'll get this cash out there. Yep. So I suppose really this is the first bit of a notification, first mm. of July this year. So start to get ready for it and be aware of it. And we'll do some community consultation to make sure people are aware of it. But yep. it makes sense to me for something that you can plan. It's not as if you're walking along the street and say, oh, I wouldn't mind just grabbing a cup of coffee. Yes. You don't go to the tip, as you say, without <laughs> planning to go That's to right. the That's right, there's a bit of a process involved. Yeah. Another nice little thing uh, that you attended during the week was the commissioning of a new minister here in town. Now, this is the uh, Holy Trinity Church. Um, new Anglican uh, minister there, or I think they referred to him as a reverend on the, uh, the COE side, and so the Church of England side. So this is interesting. I can't remember attending a commissioning before. So uh, it's, it's. I don't think they happen very often, would they? Probably not. A new minister comes along 
And I, I again, I'm just trying to think in the past, we've had new ministers turn up in yes. Dubbo before, and I know yes. I've gone along and met them and said hello to them and welcomed to the community, but I don't remember a commissioning process. Mm. Maybe they've done it before and I haven't been invited, who knows, but, <laughs> but I was invited to this one. Well, it's sort of a, a bit of a question here for you. You might be able to answer this for me. Um, a commissioning, is that, uh, to explain to people what a commissioning is, is a commissioning the fact that you're the new reverend to this church, so you're being commissioned as the new reverend to the church, or... Because I wouldn't think you'd be commissioned as a new reverend. No, no, for the church. It's going to be just for the church, yeah. the, the, the new premises you're sort of taking over. Is that right? Speaking without any expertise whatsoever, but no knowledge of the... You sound as though you already know a lot more about this than I do. So. <laughs> no knowledge of the English All I know is on Saturday I went along and yes. there was a, a lovely process and I formally welcomed... Andrew Thornhill, Reverend Andrew Thornhill, to the community. Right. And there was a, a mass and a luncheon afterwards, and he was commissioned. So, there was. So yeah, it was lovely. That's right. We had the very Reverend James Hodson, the Dean of Bathurst, who yes. came along and conducted the service. So, again, it's a nice way to mark in the community that someone new has come along. Yeah, yeah. But, again, from my perspective, the opportunity that I took was just to give some information, some background on mm. Dubbo, just talk a little bit about Dubbo, and, mm. and just the way we do welcome people wherever mm. they come from, whether they come from another country, whether they come from uh, another town nearby, but just to give, a, I suppose, a bit of a snapshot of mm. Dubbo. And again, I got a chance to talk to Andrew and just give him that sort of information personally as well. But it's a, it's a nice process and nice to go along to that process yeah. and be part of it. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Now, speaking of important things that are coming up... Uh Applications are now open for the community grants. Um, there's plenty of groups out there, I'm sure, that could do with a few dollars this year uh, to help them run their organisation, run their events. So community grants are open. This is a fabulous uh, opportunity there for people to get some extra bucks in their uh, you know, their bank accounts for their great little organisations they run. So how do they go about this? So there's two different parts to this one. One is the Community Services Fund. Right. And the other is the Bedengra Wind Farm Community Benefit Fund. Oh, that's a new one. Well, no, that's one we've had, but I'll talk about that last year. Oh, that was, we did. We had a money last year went through Wellington, though, doesn't it? Is that right? That's exactly right. So I'll I'll get to that point. So these applications open for both of these on the 1st of February, so during the week, and they need to be in by the 29th of February, so the end of the month. Not very often you get to say something's going to be in by the 29th 29th of February. 29th of February. That happens once every four years, doesn't it, eh? Oh, the friend of mine who got married on the 29th of February, so he figured that he could get away. With, with his... Uh, in 40 years, actually only 10, really. <laughs> that's right. So get away with fewer <laughs> presents there. So the, the two different funds. Now, one of them is our standard community services fund. That's council. You may remember that we rolled together that's two right. different we funds. That's right. the two and pulled into one. That's yep. right. And so that's for anyone in the community. Now, these have all got to be put in via Smarty Grants, online applications. We don't take paper applications. We don't take email applications. You've got to go via Smarty Grants. And that mm-hmm. seems to be pretty well accepted by most people in the community, and also most communities, many people use the Smarty Grants process. So that's that one. Now, you've also got the Bedengra Wind Farm Community Benefit Fund. Now, this is available to people in the Wellington Mm. District. So the conversation we had before about that 20-kilometre planning agreement, etc. So this is only Wellington District, and that's because of that planning agreement made between Iberdrola and the council. And again, that goes back many years ago that that agreement was made. So... Now, similar that, the in, figure for that one, was that around 100000 or something? Or No, the figure for the Bedenga Wind Farm Community Fund is around the $73,000 mark, and the Community Service Fund is around the $82,000 mark, but yep. that's just a memory there, so <laughs> I'll check <laughs> Look, that. I know you're very good with numbers. I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty close to the mark. The bottom line is that there's two funds there, yep. and 
similar in terms of what you've got to do, not-for-profit organisations, community organisations, support projects, programs. We want to see mm. social, economic, environmental outcomes, local communities. So all the sort of things mm. you'd expect. Read the criteria mm. and make sure you're eligible, obviously, yeah. and put that application in. And put in as much information as you can. That's really important because mm. there's a couple of things that happen. The application is closed at the end of February. Then you'll have our staff go through and look at those applications and then there's a decision made by councillors at a council meeting, a mm. public council meeting, and that's the important part. The councillors in a public council meeting formally resolve who gets this money. Mm. So our staff might make recommendations. They say, we've got to assess these and here are the ones we recommend, but it ultimately comes down to councillors. So mm. the community can't blame staff, oh, that staff member doesn't like me, or they've got a mm. favourite. It can be, you can blame councillors, but it ultimately it's a council resolution. And typically, I find there's a bit of discussion. It's a council mm. meeting, a bit of discussion, a bit of back and forth around there. How's this one here? What do we think about that? Yep. And then ultimately, we make the decision to actually fund those different organisations. So is there any assistance that, uh, like, let's say I'm running a, a local community group, and but I'm not really good at filling out these forms. Is there someone I could speak to, a councillor, that could help me fill out these forms? Well, not really. Our staff could answer questions about eligibility, for example, or answer some specific questions, but they couldn't really give you help filling in the data, filling in the forms, for example. That would seem like a conflict. There are some private groups, though, that do offer that type of service. Mm. Pickleball. Um, I only came across uh, this term of phrase oh, probably a couple of months ago, and a friend of mine was telling me about it. Uh, she plays it in Newcastle. I said, uh, said, how you been? You're looking fit. And she goes, oh, yeah, I play pickleball. I said, pickleball? I said, what's that? And she goes, it's like a cross between, what's the best way to, try to describe it as? Like tennis and table tennis. Sort of thing. I went tennis and table tennis. How the hell's whack work? And she goes, "Oh no, it's fabulous. It's a smaller version of. It. We get these bigger rackets and we have a lot of fun and it's brilliant." And I went, "Okay, well, I've never come across it, but apparently it's happening here in Dubbo, and you are going along to it." Well, I, I went along to it. As people are listening to this, oh, you're, okay, excellent. I, I, I went along to it. <laughs> well so done. Eight o'clock Sunday morning, the third oh, of February. I excellent. went along and, and played a bit of pickleball. Yes. Greg King is behind this. Greg King from the oh, Indoor from up the Dubbo Sports World. Yeah, Dubbo Sports yeah, World. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, on well, him. I know. I know Greg from indoor cricket, but he's doing this and asked me to come along and have a bit of a game. So as you listen to this, if you're really keen and you download this at 10 a.m., this is always released at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. Yes. You'll listen to this. I've already have had my fun and played it and Be sweating up it a storm out. cell That's and there right. you go, yeah. But if you listen to it, if you're really keen, Ben, and you listen to it straight away, you probably could still get down there because they're basically just having a day where people can go along and try it out and just have a bit of fun. I don't know how long they're going for on the Sunday, but mm. I'm sure if you listen to this and it might be 11 a.m. by the time you hear this part now, if if you rush down there now, you can probably go down there and have a bit of pickleball. Oh, and apparently this thing's taking off all over the place. Well, they're, they're loving it across it the world. It sounds interesting. I'll give you yeah. an impression next week of how I found it because I, I said to Greg, I'll come along. I've only got about an hour because I've got other things booked in Sunday morning. I'll come along at 8 o'clock and I'll play and have a bit of a go and, yeah. and give you some feedback. I'm so, very oh, before, to hear about it. Yeah. Well, he, he said, before you know it, Matt, you'll be signing up to a team. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I've got the time for that, Greg, <laughs> but, but I'm sure if that's, I had time... You're I'd talking the wrong it. bloke here, Greg. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, pickleball, keep an eye out for it. They've got courts down there. Uh, six courts they've got down there at Elson Park on Bolt Street. So keep an eye if you're interested yeah. in it, go along and have a look. I'm sure they've got uh, ways to put people into I teams. I love initiatives like this. It's wonderful. It's yeah, great. It's good to see. Go and have some fun with it. All right, mate. It's that time of the week. It's time for the Limerick of the Week. So 
I think you've been uh, scratching away there at something, have you? What have you come up with today? I've, I've scratched, you are right, I've scratched away. <laughs> I was struggling for a rhyme, so I've, I've had to create a word for one of my rhymes. I've, oh, cheated, right? I've cheated a little bit. That's what you've been doing, very good. <laughs> so this is all about our grants. I thought that was pretty oh, important good. in this week, and I, know I love the grant concept. I love seeing what they do. Every time I'm handing out those checks, I say, this is great, we're giving you some money, but I know what you do with it is you turn it into something much bigger and better, mm, so it's exciting. Mm. So here's my limerick for this week. Beautiful. All That's... involving grants. In Dubbo, there's funding aplenty for new groups or ones over 20 with criteria to match success you might catch for projects both small or eventy. <laughs> not well sure, done. Not sure I'll find eventy in the dictionary. <laughs> Look, I'm sure there's a word in there somewhere in the dictionary that says eventy. Well done. <laughs> well, folks, that wraps up again for Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, everyone, take care. Straight from the Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.